Oh, Father, we invite you. We bless you, Lord. There's none like you. We call your name and we know, God, that you instantly hear us. So we just speak the name Yahweh and you move into the center of our need. You move into the center of our lives, Father God. And in this moment, we just stop. Ah, Yahweh, you are the breath we breathe. You are the all in all. King of all. Yahweh. Yahweh. We bless you. We welcome your presence. We welcome you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus. You may be seated. Jesus. You call out his name and his ears are attuned to your voice. I was sharing with first service as a parent. If your child calls your name, Unless you've tuned them out for the day, you you respond to their voice. And I believe that when we say Yahweh, you know it was such a sacred name, such a sacred word, they would write it and they couldn't use all of the letters, even because it was such a precious and holy thing. And, And now we can sing it and be detached from it somehow. Singing your name, Yahweh. What a mighty God we have. What a great and wonderful God we serve. He is so much bigger than we give him credit for. We are so much smaller than we give ourselves credit for. He is a good God. Amen. Are you all ready to get into the word today? I believe God has something for us. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe there was something that that we needed to share in the spirit today. And I believe every time we come in the doors to this place, we ought to come prepared to pour out and prepared to receive because both are going to take place when you come into the presence of the Lord. So would you stand and let's uh, read the word. Very short passage we shared the last two weeks about the lost sheep, the lost son, and the other son. And this week we're going to talk about the lost coin. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Father, we are so expectant this morning. God, I am expectant this morning of what you have for us. God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, that it never returns void unto you. But Father, everything you send it to do, it begins to accomplish in our life. And you are a God who doesn't stop halfway. I thank you that you always finish what you start. So I thank you for what you are beginning in this space today and what you will complete in the time to come, Father God, because you are doing a new thing. I pray that we would perceive it and know it and grab hold of it with everything in us. God, you have a plan and we want to be a part of that. I pray that everything that is of me would fall and be forgotten and everything that is of you would stand and produce fruit in our lives because we know it does. In Jesus' name. And they all said... Amen, amen, amen. I have been so excited about this. I, I, I don't think, and now you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe, and he would, um, I don't believe I've ever asked Pastor Ronnie if I could teach a specific message before. Have I ever asked you, like, specifically? Do you have proof? No. <laughs> 
But this one was so in my spirit. I have been carrying this in my spirit for a while. This message, uh, this parable is a lost coin. So I actually asked him if I could teach it. I felt that was like pretty bold and brave of me. And fortunately for us, we have a pastor who is so open to us flowing in the spirit the way that the spirit would lead. And so I want to share this with you today. The last couple of weeks, we talked about the lost sheep and the lost son and the other son. And I believe, like, for me, repetition aids in retention. Like, if I want to really learn something, I'm going to repeat it over and over. I might sing it. I might write it. I might put it on a screen in front of me. But repetition gets it into my spirit so that I can carry it. And I really believe that that's what the Lord was doing in this parable because he brings the same message in three different ways. He, he brings it. It's as if he's talking to people who perhaps don't get it the first time. And... Uh, So he shares and he talks about the lost son. He talks about the prodigal son. And I believe when he's talking about the prodigal son, I believe he's talking about people who leave by choice. People who leave the kingdom because there's a lure of the world out there and they make a conscious decision. I really don't believe this anymore. I don't really want to be a part of this household anymore. So I'm going to leave. And that's a conscious choice. I also believe that when he spoke about the sheep, that... As Pastor Kevin shared last week, sheep are not the brightest things in the world. And so I believe that he was addressing those who sometimes get lost through ignorance, who perhaps don't adhere to teaching, who don't listen to sound teaching or or, or teach themselves so they don't really know how to stay. They might have a desire to stay, but they might have a tendency to wander off because they don't have that core teaching, that core understanding that allows them to walk in the wisdom of staying, if that makes sense. And this third thing I find really interesting because he gives us an inanimate object and the coin does not know it's lost. <laughs> and there are some who do not know that they are lost. But, other, but outside of that, I believe it's an inanimate object, but I think it's a specific one for a specific reason. And while all three perspectives share about repentance and the rejoicing that takes place when something, someone is lost and is found, this one, the Lord has so used in my life in a different way. And see, I believe that the scriptures are like that. I believe that there's a core truth in all scripture that is like the elemental truth. But I also believe every scripture is like this diamond that has a facet that you look at it from a different direction. You're like, oh my goodness, that is so cool. Or you look at it from this direction. And that's how the Lord has me study the word a lot of times. And this particular passage has been like that in my life. The Lord has used it to open up areas of my life, not necessarily dealing with salvation, but having everything to do with losing things that are precious and of value or laying them aside or forgetting about things of value. Um, This particular, in this one, it talks about 10 silver coins. We don't understand the value of coins these days. We just don't. And I mean, you can be standing beside somebody in the grocery store or they're checking out and they drop a coin. What's usually going to happen? They're going to look to see if it's worth stopping to to bend over and pick it up. And I've seen them just walk away and I'm like, yay, free money. But, But people, it's like too much effort to bend your knee. And some of us will never find our coin until we learn to bend our knee. This thing, this precious thing that, that God has given us that we've lost or, or uh, lost value. And then see, these 10 coins were, were so much more than 10 coins. 
They were ten silver. They're called the drachma, and they were equal or equivalent to one day's labor. But there's also historical evidence that would tell us that these ten coins would have been given to her by her husband. Silver, precious silver, and they would be woven into a necklace or a headdress. If you look on the back of the bulletin, those of you who grabbed a bulletin, I I put a little picture on the bottom just so you could see what I'm talking about. And there would be ten pieces of silver, pure silver, that would have the insignia or logo. I'm sure they didn't have logos. But the family crest of the family that she was marrying into. And those ten silver coins would be on the headdress, and it was evidence Uh, It was outward evidence of an inner commitment. It was something that the husband gave the wife to go. She is precious. She belongs to me. See, silver coins, they were rare. It wasn't like us where you walk around, everybody's got some change in their pocket or some bills in their pocket. Back then, there were villages and towns and places that had no sense of of coin or, or money because they grew their own food. They made their own clothes. They didn't have the need to purchase. And if they did, they traded. They bartered. And so coins in and of themselves were rare and were precious. And so for him to give her 10, that was to signify this woman is precious to me. I have gone to all of this labor to, to give her this. And the interesting thing to me is she might not have even known one was missing until she went to put it on. See, the value of the coin was different in those days. And for her to lose that would be to lose something precious. Not like today. See, now I can't as we read this passage of Scripture, I was looking at it and I was thinking, yeah, I, I really can't see us today going, I have lost my quarter. I am going to sweep this house until I find this quarter. It's going to take a whole lot more than that for me to sweep the house. And, but it's like, I'm going to sweep this house and clean, turn it upside down till I find that quarter. And then when I find it, I'm going to call the neighbors and go, hey, come and rejoice with me. I have found my quarter. And they're going to be like, what? They're like, I knew she was strange, but come on now. I found my quarter, so we don't understand it. So I just wanted to bring a little context to it to go, this coin represents something significant. It was an outward manifestation of an inner commitment, of a covenant between a husband and a wife. It was something precious and something rare. And I would like to submit to you today that you just may have something rare something precious, something that was given to you by your beloved that has been lost. It might be a gift or an anointing or a talent that God gave you, that God poured into your life and you have just let it fall to the side. It's not precious to you anymore. Some of you are teachers and you know your teachers and, and you just keep pushing that aside and pushing that aside and trying to convince yourself that you're obviously no longer called to that. It might be a hard place in your life, a broken place, maybe a sin place where you fail and you lost your testimony. And you feel like you can't do this thing for God anymore because now everybody knows how messed up you are. Well, join the club. There's something precious. It might be an innocence in your spirit. You used to walk before the Lord in such a purity before Him, in a rejoicing before Him. But now everything else around you has clouded what you used to see in God. That excitement. 
that encouraged place that we walked in with him. Only you and God know what your coin is. Only you and God know this thing that has fallen to the side that you need to retrieve, that you need to draw back so that you can begin to flow and function with evidence of that covenant that God made with you, that your husband made with you. Some of you already know what it is. Some of you already know, yeah, I stopped doing that. I should be. I know I'm supposed to be doing this. And some of you, it's going to take some time for the Lord to reveal it to your heart. But trust me, God will reveal it to your heart because I really believe he sent me this morning to share this with you. And you don't know how he's going to bring it to your remembrance. You, For me, there are times I really don't know things are missing for a long time. <laughs> and the Lord can point it out to us. One particular instance in my life where the Lord did this is he gave me a dream. And I know that that surprises you, but this is the way he speaks to me because I'm obviously most attentive when I'm unconscious. And, <laughs> and so he gave me this dream. And in this dream, I was walking. This was years ago. I was walking and I had this beautiful little pink-cheeked toddler. I mean, just adorable. She reminded me very much of my daughter, Katie. And, um, but... Totally spoiled, still reminds me of Katie. And uh, you could tell that this child was so beautifully cared for and so terribly spoiled. And we're getting ready to walk out the door. And I go to step across the door, uh, the, the door frame, uh, the threshold. And all of a sudden, this th- panic hits me. Parents, I know that you've had this hit. you like, oh, I forgot something. And usually you swing your head around to see if all the kids are in their, in their chairs back there and not at the store. Not that that's ever happened. But... But you're like this panic. And I had that panicked feeling just washed through me like, oh my gosh, I forgot something. And in that moment, in that instant, I remembered that I had another child. And when I remembered that I had this other child at this split second, I knew that I had forgotten that child for a long time. And I turned and I took off in my dream. I took off running toward the back of the house and I was praying, oh, please, God, please, God, please, God, don't let it have died. Please, God. And I'm running to the back of the house and I get to the and I push the door open. And in this dark, damp room, there is a what we used to call a playpen. And now it's a porta crib, whatever it is. And it was sitting in the back corner. And in that crib, in that thing was the most emaciated child. It was horrific. It was horrific. And I, I ran to the crib and I grabbed the child and its little face was just dirty and there were like tear streaks through it that had long dried, just so sunken. And I picked it up in my arms and I fell to my knees right there. And I'm like, oh God. And I'm apologizing and I'm looking at this baby and I'm saying, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. And at the same time, I'm crying, God, help me. Oh God, help me. And in that moment, I woke up and I woke up sobbing. I mean, sobbing. And I could feel that child in my arms. And I could feel that child in my spirit. And I began to repent. And I just cried, God, show me. Because, you know, sometimes you know it's a God dream. Sometimes it's pizza. And sometimes it's God. (laughs) Feel free to quote me on that. I could not shake it. I could not shake it. And I would pray and I would ask God, please, Tell me what this is, Lord. Take this. I'm so troubled, God. Take this away. And he didn't take it away. 
Can I just tell you, sometimes when things don't feel good, it can still be God. Sometimes when you go to bed and you toss and you turn and you can't sleep, there might not be anything to rebuke. You might just need to pray it out. You might need to pray for a while and see. You might need to tarry before the Lord and allow the Lord to show you what's going on. And that's exactly what happened here. I mean, literally months, guys. I would carry this and it would come to my spirit and I would grieve and I would cry because I don't want to miss God. And I felt like I was missing God in something. And then finally, I had shoved it. Finally, I couldn't carry it anymore. And I put it to the back of my spirit and I went, okay, God, I know when the time is right, you'll show me what this is. I walked into a a a conference in Nashville and this worship leader gets up to lead worship and he wasn't like singing a song he was worshiping and his fingers are on that keyboard and we're worshiping and and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit hits him and he steps back from that piano he throws his arms out and he just begins to spin on the platform and he's just spinning and the Holy Spirit just falls and in that moment the Lord spoke and he said the child is worship and when he said that I, it was like your life flashing in front of your eyes. And all of a sudden in my spirit, I went back to my childhood and playing the piano in my daddy's old church, playing piano and singing with my sisters. And I traveled forward into the next thing. And and I'm sitting in the Oak Ridge Church of God and I'm playing the piano and we're singing. And then I'm traveling and singing with manna. And then I'm everywhere, all of this life of worship that I had carried my whole life that had been a part of everything that I did, every bit of it, it all just poured into my spirit. And it hit me. And I saw that I had pushed it all aside. I had pushed it all aside. It was as if when I began to teach, when I began to teach, I started studying the Word all the time. I was in the Word all the time. was in the word all the time and I thought I was doing a good thing. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do and I had pushed this to the back and and I thought I was supposed to let it go because in all honesty I felt like I felt like I had allowed the enemy to convince me that my worship that my singing and piano stuff somehow shallowed the waters of my teaching. And the Lord just began to minister to me and he said, and it's like I had separated and I went, okay, that worship leadership, that was then. Teaching is now, you know, and I thought that's a progression. And the Lord just rebuked me and he said, no, I wasn't trying to take anything from you. I was trying to add to you. You took something that I was going to marry and you divorced it. You made it separate entities. And let me tell you something. Every gift that God has given you, every anointing, every talent, everything that he's given you is supposed to come together in a combined force in your life that allows you to walk in the calling with which you've been called. It all comes together so that when it's poured out of you, it's strong and it's valid and it's vital because it's coming from him. And I just wonder, what is your coin? In that moment, the Lord, uh, when I began to repent, I said, God, I see it. I see it. What can I do? And he spoke three words. He said, feed the child. Feed the child. And for me, I felt like the Lord told me to tell you, you know what that felt like in my life? In my life, that meant me going back and starting to sit at the piano again. 
by myself, me and the Lord, just talking, just, I would sing to him and I would write these things. I would, I was writing melodies that had no words. That's something I had never done. I felt like God was healing me. He was bringing these things through me that were just coming out and playing the piano. It had nothing to do with words. And I don't, I've always been like a really wordy person. I know that that surprises you, but I've always liked to talk even with my songs. And so when I started writing melodies, I was feeling like God I'm not finishing any of these songs. I'm just getting melodies. But the Lord just continued to do it because he was healing my life. He was awakening and nourishing that child of worship. Interestingly, this is a side note. This is not the important part. I had spent so many years in Nashville, guys, doing that Nashville thing and working for publishing companies and knocking on doors and just just tons of stuff. And it was a lifeless work for me. And I had given it up years before. Very little success. Just nothing. Well, after I awakened this child of worship and began to just worship for, because I missed worshiping my, my father, just a couple months in, a few months in, my phone rings. And it's a company out of Nashville. I didn't call them. I didn't email them. I didn't show up at their door. They called me and they said, we're looking for about 32 melodies. No words. Because we want, and I'm like, are you kidding me? So within a very short period, all of those things that were just my communication with the Lord, somebody called me and asked me for them to to be on a project that they had. And I thought, God, that is just so like you. Because see, we try to do in our flesh things that can only be done in the spirit. And this was just God. It wasn't something I sought. I didn't begin to seek the Lord and and awaken worship because I thought, man, I will get a contract if I do this. No, but there's always a bonus in God. There's always something more than we grasp when he's asking us to do something. So we got to do it. We need to so that we can grab those things. So here's what the Lord did. I began to do these things that I shared with you. I just began to awaken them. And I want to give you, if if the Lord has pointed out a lost coin for you, this scripture very clearly shows us what we can do with it. The very first thing he says is, does she not light a lamp? If you have a gift, a calling, an anointing, a talent, an ability, something that you have lain down, something that you have put to rest or, or forgotten and neglected, you need to tell somebody. You need to say, you know what? I believe God called me to teach and I've not been teaching. And I believe I want you to bring it out into the light. I want you to share it with somebody because it's the hidden things that get us in trouble. Bring something into the light. And that's also somebody that will help hold you accountable. The very next thing it says, it says, does she not light a lamp? Then it says, does she not sweep the house? The word used there is suru, and it is the the word that tells us where to sweep. That word means to sweep and make a mess in the hard places. Sweep the places where there was judgment, conviction, where you fell, where you were hurt, where you were wounded. These broken places, these wounded places, go back and look there. That's where we leave our gifts and our anointings and talents sometimes. It's like we we fall into that miry clay place and when we come out, we leave some of our gifts and our anointings still stuck there. We don't think we can use them. So we sweep that place. We sweep the hard places. The next thing he tells us to do is to search. That word there is the teoepimeos. It means search thoroughly without any intention of giving up until you find. You start sweeping those places, asking God, where did I lose this? Where did I lay it down? Where did I set it aside? And then you don't stop until God gives you that answer about it. 
The next thing it tells us to do (laughs) is it says, when you find it, not if you find it, when you find it, cry out. Cry out. Perfect example. I'm walking through my living room. It's been a few years ago. I'm walking through my living room and I look out the back window and half of my neighborhood has congregated in the middle of the street. They're friendly, but they're not that friendly. And they're all, <laughs> they're all out there and I can see this anxiety on their faces and you can see that there's something going on. And I stepped out on the back porch and all I hear is that one of the men go, he's two years old. He's got on blue jeans and he's got blonde hair. He's got on high tops. And you see the people just take off. And I knew what I was looking for. So I took off behind them and they were going this direction. And I had missed part of the instruction, which is not unusual for me. And so I thought, I'm going this way. I really actually felt in the whole, that the Holy Spirit was going, go this way. And I take off running, and they're calling for him and calling for him. And I'm going this way, and I'm running. And the Holy Spirit just speaks to me, and he says, be still. And so I, I stop, and I stand still. It's almost as if I could hear him go, shh, just stop. And as I was still, I could hear all of their voices, but then I heard something else. I heard it. Just this little sound of struggle, like a little tiny voice in struggle. And I went into the neighborhood next to ours, and I was following. I know it was the Holy Spirit. And I get to this big wooden fence, and I can hear. And I look up and over that fence, and there's a little blonde-haired baby with his T-shirt already pulled off. You guys can come on out. His T-shirt's already pulled off. His little diaper's down around his hips. He's got his blue jeans shoved down to the tops of his high tops. And that was the sound I heard was <laughs> as he's trying to push these blue jeans off of his high tops as he's standing next to the diving board. And he's doing this. Somebody better catch me. <laughs> he's doing this every time he bends to those little pants. He's leaning further into the pool. And I'm thinking, oh, God, let me get to him. God, because it, it was cold. And, I, and I'm thinking, God, let me. And I can't find a, a fence or a gate anywhere. And so I'm running around this thing back when I used to be able to run. And I'm running around this fence. And I finally find the break where he had to get through. And I was afraid to yell at him because all I needed was to startle him and him to go in. And so I got through there. And I'm like, hey, buddy. <laughs> hey, buddy. We've been looking for you, and he stands up, and, and I talk to him, and I get over there to him, and I've been down, and I said, your mommy and daddy have been looking for you, sweetheart, and I lean down, and I put my arms around him, and I pull him back a little further, and I said, I'm getting ready to yell, and I went, I found him! I found him. He's over here. Because see, when you find something that's precious, you're supposed to call out. And I'm like, I found him! And you can hear all of these feet running, and then you see mama coming through, And she comes through and she grabs him and she's just sobbing. And here's this daddy and he's standing behind her pretending not to sob. And and we did what the scripture said. As a community, we rejoice because that which was lost was found. Something precious had been brought back in. And I I just want to encourage you. This precious place in your life. This precious coin that's been lost. I want you to... Bring it into the light. I want you to sweep the hard places. I want you to determine not to give up until you find it. And then I want you to call out. Because, baby, we are going to rejoice with you. 
We are going to rejoice with you, with that which was found. And can I tell you, when all of us begin to bring everything that God has poured into our lives, into this house, you are not going to believe what God is going to do. Find your coin, guys. Find your coin. Can you stand with me?